Morning. Great to be with you this morning. I want to begin the message today by telling you about when my career as a hurdler began. You know, someone who runs and, and jumps over hurdles. I had never heard of it. I didn't even know it was a thing until one day my PE teacher in high school introduced us to it by dragging these big barriers out and putting them in the middle of the running track. Why? Running is excellent. I like running, to, to run and enjoy the movement of your body, to run on a running track. And, and I understand sometimes it's great to run you know, outside in the bush where there are some natural obstacles. I even like running up and over hills. That's fun. But to actually build something and put it in the way does not make any sense to me. And 13-year-old Jeff lacked the required height and coordination And so my career as a hurdler both began and ended on the same day. (laughs) And forevermore, I will sit and wait until the hurdles race is over so I can remove the barriers and then the real fun can begin just with ordinary running. But removing barriers to running is one thing, but removing barriers to faith in Jesus is way more important and it's also something that I've become passionate about in my life. Because as Christians, we're all inclined to building barriers, to setting up structures, and to creating boundaries that make it difficult for people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. We'll we'll say things either to ourselves, or we'll actually verbalize this to other people. We'll say things like, to accept Jesus, you have to, or, or to believe in Jesus, you must, or to, to be a real Christian, you've got to, and we build up these barriers, and most of them are built with good intentions. Most of them have some foundation in the Bible. Some of them usually start with this idea of treating other people well, but over time they get distorted. Over time they, they become too big, and they become hurdles or, or barriers that we make other people jump over to have faith in Jesus but they end up keeping people away from him. And, and this has always been the case. Jesus talked about this, and we're going to go there in a few minutes this morning. But, but throughout the centuries after Jesus, those barriers just multiplied, and some of them got bigger and bigger and bigger, and they divided between Christians, and they kept other people out. And so over 200 years ago, the restoration movement began in the UK and the US, and they set out to restore Christianity and restore the church to its New Testament origins. And our church is part of the restoration movement. In Queensland, we call it Churches of Christ. This year is our 140th anniversary in the state. Um, And there is a big poster. In the foyer there, there's a notice board. There's a big history poster. If you're interested in this kind of thing, have a look. And there are some little handouts you can grab and take home as well. So we've talked about from the restoration movement and in our church still today, a commitment to unity, a commitment to practical care, a commitment to celebrating communion for what Jesus did for us on the cross. And today we're going to talk about a commitment to removing man-made barriers to faith in Jesus. But, but where did the founders of our movement come up with that idea? Where, where did they get this idea that removing barriers is a good thing? 
Well, they got it from Jesus himself. In Matthew 23, there's this long speech from Jesus where he attacks the Pharisees and the religious leaders, the establishment, the man, the power structures of their culture and of their faith. And he says that everything they do is for show. In this one speech, he calls them blind guides twice, and he calls them hypocrites six times, just in this one go. But, but let's just back up just a little bit to Matthew chapter 22 to understand why he had such a go at them in, in chapter 23. So Matthew 22, verse 35, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the two main groups, were taking turns trying to catch Jesus out, trying to get him to say something so that they could write him off, cancel him, arrest him, kill him. It's the Pharisees' turn. And so in verse 35, one of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him, Jesus, with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses in the Old Testament? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. He pulls that one out. Then he says, a second is equally important. Pulls another one out. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law, first five books of the Old Testament, and all the demands of the prophets, a whole other big section of the Old Testament, all of that, they're based on these two commandments. What, what is Jesus doing here? Well, for one, he's expertly avoiding their trap. He has not said anything that will be, enable them to catch him. He leaves them without any ammunition. And he's also laying the groundwork for what he's about to do in the next few minutes to removing barriers. Because there's a lot of commandments in the law of Moses. It's not just the famous 10 on the stone tablets. There's a lot more. And so Jesus is saying that not all of them are equal. There are two that if you want to pull two out, there are two that are both important and equally important. Love God with everything and love others as yourself. And, and same then as it is today, this is both incredibly simple and profoundly difficult. You and I can take Jesus' words today, take those two commandments and do our absolute best to follow them. Of any age, we can do that, to love God with everything and to love each other as we love ourselves. We can all have a go at that. It's, it's profoundly simple and uncluttered what it means to follow Jesus in this way. But it's, it's still profoundly difficult. And so still today, no matter how hard you try, no matter how old you are or who you are, we still need Jesus' forgiveness because we can't reach how difficult that com- those commandments are and we still need his empowerment every day. So, so Jesus' words do lower the bar in a sense. They do remove some barriers. They, they bring everything in the Old Testament down to two things. But then a few minutes later, he launches into his scathing attack. And here's what he says, first four verses of Matthew 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples in front of these teachers of religious law, and he says, these guys and the Pharisees, they're official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable burdens, I'm sorry, unbearable religious demands, and never even lift a finger to ease the burden. You may know someone like this in your life. If you're at school or at uni, you may read those words and go, I have a teacher like that. They crush us with unbearable demands and never lift a finger 
to ease the burden. Or you might be thinking, my parent is like this. Or, or I have a boss like this. And I hope you've never had a pastor or a, a spiritual leader like this. But unfortunately, that happens too. Pastors, even today, can be like those religious leaders, and we can crush people with unbearable demands and never lift a finger to help. And Jesus is saying this is not a good thing. He's pointing this out because it's a bad thing. Leaders should not be like this. Leaders should not put up barriers to faith in Jesus. But that's exactly what we've done. And so over the centuries after Jesus, one of the main ways we did that in churches and in denominations was with written creeds, with statements that we would write and come up with to very clearly define the absolute truth that would be different from what other people would say, and it would keep them out. And anyone who wanted to come in to our movement, to our denomination, to our family, had to jump over these hurdles of what we had decided and what we had written down in our creeds. Now, some of them in the early days were quite short and and quite simple and, and uncluttered, like the Apostles' Creed. We sang a version of that in the song just a few minutes ago. But over the years, they got more divisive and the barriers got bigger. It's it's like this. It's like saying, okay, in, in the life of faith, there are some natural obstacles you'll have to overcome. Faith in Jesus does not come easily. It requires the empowerment of the Spirit and it requires faith to believe that Jesus has done everything needed to be close to God and to be in unity with God. That's a natural obstacle, like running up a hill. But there's no need to add to that with extra man-made barriers, building the hurdles higher and higher. You have to also do this. You have to also believe this. And over time, we we just impose these incredible burdens on people, on anyone coming to faith in Jesus. Now, in week one of this series, two weeks ago, we introduced you to Thomas Campbell, the guy from Ireland who just wanted to be a Christian. But he could never say to someone, I'm a Christian. He had to, had to say exactly what kind of Christian he was. He would have to say, oh, I'm, a, I'm an old light anti-burger seceder Presbyterian. I'm, I'm like this branch of this branch of this branch of this branch. And ah, finally, we've got it right compared to everyone else who's, who's wrong. And he, he just thought that that's wrong. There's much greater unity and there's an essence to our faith that we can agree on. And today I want to introduce you to his son, Alexander Campbell, who worked with his dad and carried on the work after his dad had died. Alexander also opposed divisions, especially creeds that were put up as hurdles. And so he led the early restoration movement to, to hold on to this statement as a value. We have no creed but Christ. We don't, we don't want to have all these other, other barriers and hurdles of, of other creeds. We, we don't want to have any creed except for Christ himself. The restoration movement tried to restore simple, uncluttered Christianity by focusing on Jesus. And here's why this still matters to you and I today and to our church. We still have this inclination to put up barriers we have, have like this inbuilt sinfulness that, that makes us want to judge other people's faith and judge their practice and judge their lifestyle on all sorts of extra things rather than on this simple faith in Jesus Christ. Now, now here's some things you might have, some sentences you might have thought in your mind and you might have even found yourself saying these to other people. Sentences that start with, 
they must not be a Christian because they... Or, or how can they call themselves a Christian if they... Or, or if they really wanted to follow Jesus, they have to... And, and, and what we fill the end of those sentences with is usually a behavior, something they're doing that concerns us because it's not, not what we were taught. Or it's an opinion that they hold that we don't agree with. Or it's something about their lifestyle that we don't like and so we judge it. We've probably been concerned about something that they're doing because it's, it's not what our parents taught us or not what we believe is right or not what we think they should do. And, and here's the thing. You may be right. You may be right that if they just did what you think they should, if they just believed what you think they should, that maybe their life and their faith would be better. But whether or not you're correct, this, this value of our movement and of our church of no creed but Christ says that you won't divide and you won't judge and you won't put up a barrier based on anything except Christ. In Matthew 16, Jesus said to his disciples, hey, who are people saying that, that I am? This is kind of midway through his ministry or maybe a little bit towards the end. Who, who, what's the word on the street? Who do people say that I am? And they're like, well, you know, there's, there's things along the lines of a great man, a great prophet, a great teacher, maybe like one of the ancient prophets come, come back in a new form. He says, okay, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter spoke up and he answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you're blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. He didn't learn this from any human being. This is that natural obstacle to faith. This is the mountain of faith. It has to be revealed to us by our father in heaven. I say to you on this confession of faith that you are Peter, which means rock, not just Simon, but you're Peter, rock. And upon this rock of your confession of faith, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who saves you from your sin, the one you commit your life to as Lord, says that this is what he'll build his church on. This is the only barrier. As each person reaches this point of acceptance and commitment, that's what it's all about. And so this is why when we baptize people, we don't need any proof that their lives are perfect. This is why when you say, I, I, I believe in Jesus, I'm ready to be baptized, we, we don't investigate to make sure that your life is squeaky clean. When you get baptized, we only ask you two questions. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And have you accepted him as the Lord and Savior of your life? Because we don't need any other hurdles except the only one, the most important one, which is Christ. And there's one more value of the restoration movement that helps us with this idea of, of removing barriers. The other thing they said was, we have no book but the Bible. Churches of Christ are people of the book. We believe in pulling down the barriers of, of traditions because our authority doesn't come from traditions. It comes from the scriptures. 
Not the church, not traditions, not other books, and not other teachings. But, but over time, what had happened was people had just kind of been dissatisfied with what they were finding in the Bible. And so they went outside of that and they added to the Bible religious theories and speculations and opinions in things like the end times. What's going to happen in the end times? Are we in the end times? Is this country, is this leader part of the end times? Spiritual warfare. What does that look like? What does it mean? How do we deal with it? Creation versus evolution. Faith and politics. These are the kinds of things that actually cause controversy in the church and actually cause barriers and divisions. But instead of focusing on on any of, of those things, we want to focus on the things that are clearly revealed. We want to focus on a simple, uncluttered faith in Jesus the extra things, you know, the, the four I listed and everything else, they, they are important, but they're not important to our unity or to our essence or the essentials of our faith in Jesus. So you have a different opinion to me about science, creation, evolution, no problem at all. You have a different view of politics in Australia or America or, or, or Russia, no problem at all. You have a different view on the end of the world and end times and what it all means. That is not a problem at all. Here's what Alexander Campbell, the, uh, the son of his father Thomas, said during a debate, an 18-day an, an debate, by the way. Like, we just don't do debates properly anymore. This is, in a, this is on one day, one sentence from one day of an 18-day debate. He said, the primitive Christians, he's talking about the early church, the first Christians, they had one but one faith written out for them by apostles and prophets, and we have it in one volume, usually called the New Testament. So together, we have no creed but Christ, and we have no book but the Bible. And so this is not just for unity's sake, but if you're exploring Christianity or you're learning and you're growing in your faith, there's a whole world of discussion. There's a whole world of conversation around the extra things. But at the end of the day, the only hurdle, the only barrier, the only thing that really matters and makes a difference is what are you going to do about Jesus? Now, during this series, and we're hearing each week from someone who has some history in Churches of Christ, because most of us don't. I don't. I've been a minister in Churches of Christ for 15 years, but, but wasn't raised in this movement. So we're trying to hear from people who have a longer history. And so uh, today, I want you to hear from my friend Pete. We played golf together on Friday. I won. And then we recorded this video. So have a look at the screen. Hello everybody, my name's Pete Willis and uh, Caloundra Church of Christ is my third full-time ministry. Prior to that I did 17 years in the army as a chaplain. So almost five years ago we were invited to take up ministry there at Caloundra and I'm there with my wife, Vicky. Great. Kids all grown up? All grown up, all left home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, How were you first introduced to Churches of Christ? Well, I was thinking about that because you did give me pre-warning you are going to ask yes. that question. And actually, I can't quite recall exactly, but I know the date. It was the 19th of August, 1962. Okay. I was one week old. <laughs> yep. And my parents, uh, my father was a minister with Churches of Christ all of his life. And uh, we were living in Western Australia at the time. And that was my first Sunday at church. I'm sure I went to church the very first Sunday after mum gave birth to me. August 62. Yeah. Yep. And so pretty much I have enjoyed a great fellowship and ministry within Churches of Christ for, well, the last 40 odd years as a minister mm. and then 60 years of my life. 
Yeah, wow. Now, um, to make a little link with our church, you spent time growing up as part of what was Cairns Church of Christ, is that right? I did, and I was very thankful for that. In fact, uh, I made my commitment to Christ, public confession of faith, while we were part of the Cairns Church of Christ, and I was baptised in Cairns. So I always have some pretty special memories of Cairns, and certainly Mm -hmm. as a kid, I was around 10, 11 years of age. It's great living in Cairns and really enjoyed it. So yeah, that's Mm -hmm. my bit of connection with the church. Awesome. Um, in the message Sunday, we're talking a bit about um, barriers to faith. Obviously, to accept Jesus is a barrier in itself that requires that the Holy Spirit's enabling to overcome that, to, to have faith. Um, where have you seen in your experience with Churches of Christ barriers either being unnecessarily put in place or those barriers being removed so that people can come to Christ? Okay, I think one of the reflections that I might have is that because uh, Churches of Christ has a grouping uh, we're really strong in a number of its emphases on some doctrinal positions. Sometimes we did it out of a reaction um, from some other groups that we might have thought were, were just uh, a little bit lackadaisical about some theological view. And as a way, I think Churches of Christ at times overcompensated or over-argued a number of theological points. And in doing so, we're often observed or seen by other churches as being very dogmatic mm. or um, on particular issues, say, for instance, baptism might be one of those. And I think at times we overcompensated uh, in making certain points and that then created a barrier of almost a separation um, of a lot of churches not wanting to have fellowship with Churches of Christ mm. 40 years ago because we were so dogmatic on a number of theological points. So yeah. that could be an area. Yeah. And then I think on the other side where we've been attractive, of course, is a very uncomplicated and, and simple approach to faith and church doctrine. And certainly a number of people that have joined our church at Caloundra have just almost with tears of joy just come into a place where our faith expression was simple, um, based on the scriptures and there didn't seem for them to be an issue around denominationalism so they're very happy to join with us as a group of Christians just endeavouring to love God and to take the word of God as our source for our values and also our doctrinal views. Mm. Um, last question, your dad um, was not just a pastor in Church of Christ but had the gift of evangelism and functioned as an evangelist in mm-hmm. tent ministries and things like that, even here in Cairns back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, wh- what do you think was about his evangelistic ministry that, that made him fruitful, you know, being able to share the message in a way that people could relate to? Well, in particular, certainly the first decade or so of my dad's tent crusades was very much of the idea that um, as a result of calling for responses from non-believers and new believers coming to faith in Christ, that new churches were started around simple New Testament principles. So there's a number of towns where really, you know, whether it was 20 or 30 or 40 people gave their life to Christ during a crusade and then a New Testament church was just started there simply with new believers. Mm. And of course, every church in Acts obviously started pretty much that way with just an evangelistic message. People came to faith and somehow people were appointed in leadership in those churches. So that heritage, I think, not only for my father, but many other tent crusaders of, of that era were very much not just about preaching the gospel, but establishing a New Testament-based church on the simplicity of gathering together for communion each Lord's Day, mm. um, the word preached, prayer, and for discipleship. Yeah, yeah, and many, many people and churches um, have been blessed as a result of your dad's ministry and, mm. and others. Yeah, he's a great man. Thanks for your time today, Peter. No worries.
Pete's here in our service this morning. He's on holidays, so I didn't want to get him up to speak. But, uh, but Pete, thank you for sharing, and we honour your ministry, but also your dad, Doug Willis, his ministry for our church here in Cairns and Queensland. Thank you. You know, as the Lakes Church, we want to continue to be about this, to removing barriers to faith in Jesus, for not making it difficult for anyone turning to God through Jesus. But I guarantee that we'll get it wrong sometimes. I guarantee that I'll get it wrong sometimes. And, and sometimes we'll set up hurdles, and sometimes we'll drift into taking this value of the restoration movement too far. In history of Churches of Christ, there's this practice of always singing a song after we share in communion. The communion is really important, but also, just like we did this morning, there's, there's this legalistic thing. We have to sing a song together after we take communion. Why? Not because it's nice. It is. Not because it's a good chance to, to reflect and to then vocalize our faith, which it is, um, but because of one line in one of the Gospels where it says about the, the Last Supper, it says, after supper, they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. And so because we're people of the book, because we have no book but the Bible, we said, well, we also have to do the same. And, and sometimes we took that so far. There's a church in Victoria in the, in the history books. There's records of this. They would not just have communion, then sing a hymn. They would then leave the building because it says, and then they went out to the Mount of Olives in the verse. And so communion, sing a hymn. Everyone would get up, leave the building. No Mount of Olives to go to. They would walk around the building and then go back in to hear the message. This is missing the point. It is taking the verse out of context, but it's a little bit more than that. It's treating the Bible like a book of laws, which is not what it was ever intended to be and not what it is. When we treat the Bible or we think of the Bible as a book of laws, that's not a Christian assumption. That's a non-Christian assumption of what the Bible is. But sometimes as Christians, we, ad- we, we adopt that. We take that as our assumption. Well, if I read the Bible, I'm looking for what I have to do. What are the laws I've got to follow? It was never intended to be that. There are things in the Bible that help us live better lives, not just better lives of faith, but, but better lives in all sorts of areas. Incredible wisdom. But the key, the key to understanding the Bible, any part of it, is not as a book of rules and laws, but as a book of grace and relationship. The Bible helps us understand God because Jesus is in the Bible. Jesus, as the best and the full representation of God the Father, his story is told in the Bible. That's why the Bible helps us understand God. And so the Bible draws us into relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It was meant to, the book was meant to liberate us and to free us, not to restrict us and make us jump over hurdles. So we have to fight this tendency towards legalism and laws in our own hearts and in the way we treat others. So to to wrap up those two kind of statements of Churches of Christ history, we don't actually have to reject any written creed as a legalistic thing. We sang the song before from the Apostles' Creed. We'll use that from time to time. We can use creeds as a way to express our unity and as a way to explore faith. But the value, the value of no creed but Christ helps us remember that at the core, at the essence of our faith 
is accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's the only thing that matters. And we don't need to avoid reading any other book except the Bible. Laura and I have even written a book. You should read it. It's a good book. We can use all sorts of other books to help us explore our faith and to grow in faith. But this value of no book but the Bible helps us remember that this Bible of grace that we read and devote ourselves to leads us into a life-giving, transforming relationship with God through Jesus. I've got one more thing from the Bible for you before we finish. In Acts, the book of Acts, the early church was at a critical point of decision-making. You may know that in the early church, there were obviously Jewish Christians. Jesus was a Jew and all the disciples were Jews. They became Jewish Christians when they realized who Jesus was. But they brought with them all of the culture, all of the Old Testament, which has lots of laws. And they brought all of that to lead up to Jesus, which he does, leads up and fulfills everything in the Jewish faith. But then also coming into the church from the other side were Gentile Christians. No Jewish culture, no Old Testament, no Old Testament laws. But the Holy Spirit led them to the exact same point of faith in Jesus. And the church had to decide what to do with that. Is that okay? Is it okay that we still think all these rules are important and we follow them and laws and we follow Jesus as a full expression of all of that? What about these people who, who don't know and don't want to follow our laws? You know, some of the basic physical things like circumcision of males. That's a big deal. You know, what, what, what do we do with that, with someone coming to faith? And there's lots of other things. And so in Acts chapter 15, the early church, the disciples were at this decision-making point. What are we going to do with the rules, with the laws? What's the, the essence of our faith? And in Acts chapter 15, they have this big discussion, deliberation, discernment, prayer. And James, the brother of Jesus, was the spokesperson. Here's what he said, Acts 15, 19. He says, my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Now, you should notice that this goes further than Jesus went. Jesus said, listen to the Pharisees and what they teach you. James isn't saying that. James is just saying, my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. The Spirit is leading us, he's saying, to let go of the hurdles that we've jumped over, to not put those hurdles in the way of other people as they come to faith in Jesus. We should not add extra creeds on top of Christ. We should not add requirements from any other book except the Bible. And really, when we talk about the Bible, we're talking about Jesus revealed in the New Testament and what the early church wrote to understand him and follow him. So my questions for you as we, as we finish up are, is Christ all by himself at the center of your faith? Is Christ all by himself at the center of of your faith? And is he at the center of the way that you share your faith? And is he at the center of the way that you think about or judge other people? And the way to know if that's true or not, if he really is at the center of all those things, is to think about whether you've added some hurdles whether you've built up some barriers or you've accepted or adopted barriers that other people taught you or made you jump over in the past. 
We've been prayer walking in the month of July, as, as we've talked about this morning, praying for the people we live near and, and work with and, and study with, that they would get to come to know Jesus, that we could serve them, that we could be in unity with other believers around us. And this week, I want to invite you to think about the two verses that, that we've finished with this morning as you walk and pray. To have in mind this week from Matthew 16, 16, Peter's words, that Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And to have in mind Acts 15, 19 from James, the brother of Jesus, we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are coming to God. And if you're really courageous enough to ask Jesus as you pray, ask him, how am I making it difficult for people to turn to you as the Son of God. Jesus, how am I making it difficult for people to turn to you as the Son of God? Let's pray. Jesus, I want to pray that prayer and invite you to speak to us as a whole church. We each need to ask it. I need to ask it about my conversations and, and the way I think and what I say to other people. Um, but also for our whole church, Lord. We do not want to make it difficult for anyone coming to faith in you. So would you help us to remove any barriers that aren't of you, that get in the way, that slow people down and stop them and put them off so that people have a clear run to get straight to the heart of who, who you are, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as Lord and Saviour. In His name, Amen.